With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, and welcome to the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Podcasting Network. Uh, I am your moderator, host Tom Reed, joined today by Taylor Haas and Dave Molinari, our esteemed Penguins beat writers. We will later be joined by Aaron Portsline in Columbus, who will help us make a little sense of what is going on with uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets, who will be back in the division next year. And I can guarantee you one thing, they're going to look a lot different than the last time you saw them. Uh, but let's get right into all things Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, Taylor and Dave. Uh, Ron Hextall, we think, is going to speak a little bit later in the week, uh, kind of his wrap-up, season wrap-up. And, of course, a lot of interest is now is going, going what's going to happen with this team going forward. And one of the first things uh, that he's going to have to address, uh, Taylor and Dave, is who he's going to protect for the expansion draft. And the second part is who is he going to resign of his own free agents? Taylor, give us a, just a, a brief rundown for some of our fans that may not be familiar or uh, need a little refresher course after Vegas a couple of years ago of, of what exactly, who needs protected uh, in an expansion draft? Yeah, so um, the rules for the the Seattle expansion draft are going to be the same as the one from Vegas. Um, Seattle's going to take a player from every team except for Vegas. Vegas is... Um, Exempt, which is kind of typical when you have two expansion drafts too uh, close to each other uh, in the past. Vegas then also just doesn't get a cut of the um, the fee Seattle paid to enter the league. Um, whether that's fair or not, that they don't have to expose anyone is a whole different debate. But uh, yeah, teams will have to make decisions. You, there are two different options that team can choose for what they want to protect. Um, either eight, so each team... No matter what, you protect only one goalie. It has to be one goalie. Um, and then it can either be eight skaters regardless of position, or you can choose to do seven forwards, three defensemen. Um, for the Penguins, it, it makes sense to do the seven forwards, three defensemen because they would have no re- real reason to want to protect um, any additional defensemen because uh, players with two or fewer years of um, professional experience are exempt. So Marino and Pio Joseph, those guys... Um, guys like Zahorna, they're exempt. Uh, so, uh, defense and then, you know, a couple forward prospects, they're pretty set on those, but it looks like they're going to have to protect seven forwards, um, three defensemen. Um, and like I said, defensemen, they're pretty set, but forwards, I think there's, uh, some interesting debate on who will protect. All right, Taylor, you wrote a little bit, uh, piece about this a little earlier in the week. So let's start with Dave. Dave, let's start with just the forward group. Who would be the forwards? If, if, if we go by the idea that Taylor mentioned about going with the seven forwards, three defensemen, who are the seven forwards that you would protect? Well, uh, and uh, just for the record, Ron Hextall told us a while ago that they almost certainly would go the uh, three and seven route. Okay. 
and I don't think anything has happened to, to change that. Uh, the way things stand now, and I, you know, it's certainly possible there will be personnel changes before the protected list have to be in. I would protect uh, Crosby and Malkin, both of whom have no movement clauses in their contracts, which mandate then that, that they be protected. There's really no option uh, to not protect them, uh, along with Gensel, Rust, Kapanen, Tanev, and Bluger. Uh, they would be the, the seven forwards that uh, I would be inclined to protect. Taylor, any changes? Or would you, is that the same list that you would put? The one guy that would stick out just because he played so well in the playoffs, although he's 36 years old, would be Jeff Carter. But what is your list there? Yeah, I've, um, Dave actually wrote that story that you're talking about a few days ago. I've written, oh, um, sorry. Well, no, yeah, well, but I've written two of these and I as well in the earlier in the season and I've, I've kind of gone back and forth. Um, I think Crosby, Malk, and Gensel Rust captain for sure. It's the last two spots are between really, I think, Bluger, Tanev, and McCann. Um, and I've gone back and forth on, on who I want. Uh, I know I, like early in the year I had McCann on my list and then, you know, one of Bluger, Tanev out. I, I think at this point I'm in agreement with Dave, maybe expose McCann. Um, I, I th- it would just be really tough, I think, to lose Tanev and then Bluger, just the – They've had tough luck finding uh, bottom six uh, centers in the past. Um, so I, I wouldn't – Bluger is a solid one. I wouldn't give him up. So uh, put McCann out there, see what happens. Uh, you mentioned Jeff Carter. and You know, the way he finished the season uh, was really strong. But then again, he is going to be 37 next season. Sure. He might not play beyond next season. Um, if you're Seattle, I, I mean, unless they think they're going to win the cup next year, it really makes no sense to, um, to, to, you know, choose Carter. You'd rather have a young, you know, guy like McCann or Bluger, whoever may be available, um, over, you know, Jeff Carter, um, Zucker, the other kind of big name that would have to be exposed, but I think he really hasn't shown a whole lot since he got to Pittsburgh, at least, that uh, to justify his contract. So I don't think Seattle. I think you can leave him exposed, and he wouldn't be uh, taken. Yeah, and I think the the only reason that that Seattle would be seriously interested in Carter would be if they think he could help to establish a good culture there. I I don't think they could really count on him, you know, to produce offensively at the at the level he did in the playoffs and. And in the final weeks of the regular season, I don't, you know, I don't think the Penguins can count on that either. Uh, but, it, you know, if Ron Francis would determine when he's assembling the, uh, his team and, you know, let's remember he, he is building a team here. He's not necessarily picking the best player, you know, off of each of the 30 teams that will be involved. Sure. Uh, so, you know, there, there could be a, uh, a rationale for, for choosing Carter, but I, I would be kind of surprised. The only thing that with Jeff Carter and 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 I, I think there might be some interest. And again, you're gambling. You're gambling, of course. With anytime you're you're dealing with a guy who will be 37 on July. I'm sorry, January 1st would be if Carter were to play decent. If he were to have a decent season coming off this playoff, I wonder if Seattle would think of taking him for. The trade deadline. In other words, they're probably not going to be in the race. But if Jeff Carter's playing pretty well, 
I think you might be able to get a first-round draft pick out of Jeff Carter uh, for a team that's looking for that last piece. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's more of a second-rounder. That would be, to me, the the reason. And as the, Dave, as you mentioned, too, the culture, the guy has been a winner just about at every level. Uh, uh, but that would be, to me, the only other part about the, they might think of Jeff Carter as, hey, he could be a really good rental for us uh, come the trade deadline. Dave, uh, let's stick with you for a second. You're three defensemen. Uh, it, those are relatively easy calls. Chris Letang, who, like Crosby and Malkin, has a no-movement clause, so he's automatic. Uh, and then uh, his partner, Brian Dumoulin. And I would go uh, third with Mike Matheson. Uh, the only one that I could see anyone making an argument for possibly would be Marcus Pedersen. Uh, but he's coming off a disappointing season. I would be kind of surprised if the uh, if the Kraken would uh, make him the guy that uh, you know it would uh, want to claim from Pittsburgh. So I'm uh, I'm you know reasonably confident in uh, in those three defensemen. Taylor, jump in there and then start with your goaltender. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, so, your defenseman first, and then your yeah. goaltender. Yeah, um, so Latang and Dumoulin for sure, obviously, just comes down to that third one. And I think when we're talking about the defenseman, I think it really is irrelevant. I think they're going to end up losing a forward no matter what, given the you know guys they're going to be exposed. But um, so the, the expansion draft comes before um, the start of free agency. And uh, Seattle does – there is a period where they can talk to those like pending free agents before they make their – um, picks to see, you know, it, to gauge interest, if, you know, if they can choose a pending unrestricted or, you know, restricted free agent, would they want to sign with them? I mean, looking back to the Vegas draft, um, they chose, Vegas chose, a third of their picks were pending um, unrestricted free agents. Um, and then they either signed them or then flipped those guys for picks or what have you. Um, so with that in mind, I, my third one would be Cody Cece. I mean, he is going to be a free agent and you know, if if they did choose him and he didn't want to sign there, which I, again, they, there's a period where they can engage that interest. He could wait it out and then you know sign with the Penguins a week later. But um, I, you know, he's someone that you know if Seattle offered more money, why you know he could he could leave. Um, and I think that you know, given that they don't have a whole lot of options, uh, you know, waiting in the wings on the right side. They, they have P.O. Joseph on the left side, so if they lose a guy on the left side, that kind of opens up a spot for P.O. On the right side, they really don't have anyone waiting around like that. Um, could step in and really, I think, be a regular. Uh, so given that, and then what we saw from CC this year, CC would be my third. But again, I really don't think it matters, no matter what. And then Jari would be my goalie. Dave, you goaltender? Uh, yeah, I mean, it has to be Jari. As things stand now, you know, it's certainly possible that the Penguins would make a move, you know, in that regard. Um, but, uh, you know, with uh, the personnel that they have today, you know, there's there's no question that the Jari would be the guy on that they would protect. All right, we're going to get back to goaltending in one minute. But the second part of this, as you guys set up, is there are there are free agents, pending free agents, restricted free agents, all that kind of good stuff that, that Ron Hextall and Brian Burke are going to have to deal with uh, before the, the draft or before free agency starts as well. Taylor, uh, 
lay out the, the, the potential guys here that they're going to have to do some business with or at least make some decisions on? Yeah, I mean, the, the really the biggest name and the one that, you know, goes back to our discussion on the expansion draft is Teddy Bluger. He's going to be a restricted free agent. Uh, definitely due for a raise. He's just making 750000 this year, which is, you know, 50000 over the league minimum. Um, and I mean, to go through the list uh, of the guys that finished on the NHL roster, had NHL time this season, um, Zahorn is a restricted free agent. Uh, Jankowski is a restricted free agent. Um, I think you can, that's not really a discussion. You can write him off at least. Um, Aston Reese, restricted free agent. He's, we could probably get him back on what, the same deal. He was only making a million dollars. And then a couple prospects. Uh, and then unrestricted guys. You got Colton Sevier, who's making 1.2. Um, Freddie Gaudreau, who's making, he's, you know, another guy that's probably due mm. for a raise. He was only making, um, you know, league minimum 700,000. Uh, I don't know. You think you just give him a blank check? That's what I would do. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Evan Rodriguez, who was uh, making league minimum, and then Cody Cece, like I mentioned, he was making uh, 1.25. And then uh, Yannick Weber, who was making league minimum, he only played two games, and I believe he's already either signed in Switzerland or I've seen he's been like in communication with teams over there. So, um, And then Max Legacy for goalies. So, I mean, couple, if we want to go through the, uh, like the, do you want to like run it down the list and talk about what we think? Yeah, we'll, we'll 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 go to Dave here, and then we'll come back to you. I I I have to I have to say that you're probably just saying that you'd give Freddie Hockey a blank check because you're going to start a <laughs> side market of Freddie Hockey paraphernalia that would be ruined if he goes somewhere else. All right, Dave uh, Taylor just ran down the list. Who would you want to see back, and who logically do you think that they would offer contracts to? Well, I, I mean, I, I think Bluger is the priority. I think they should try to re-sign Aston Reese. Uh, I think they should try to sign CeCe among the unrestricted guys. Um, Gaudreau, obviously, with the way he played. I think Evan Rodriguez it would be worth talking to. I think he's a good spare part to, uh, to have around. Um, a legacy... You know, I, I guess I would want to see what happens with, with the goaltending. Uh, you know, I think you could do worse than have him as uh, your number three in, in the organization. Uh, but, you know, so he might get a, uh, a more attractive offer elsewhere. You're certainly not going to break the bank to keep him. But, you know, Sevier, uh, you let walk, you know, Weber. Uh, that would be no loss. I think Kevin Churchman was in, was in that group too uh, of unrestricted guys. Who he wasn't uh, on the roster at the end of the season, but you know he was up here. He played a bit during the regular season. And Mark Jankowski, I wouldn't want to have to be the one to make an argument for why they should mm -hmm. offer him a new contract. I can't imagine Jankowski wants to be back. But yeah, Dave mentioned Churchman. Um, I didn't go through the guys who finished the season in Wilkes-Barre, but there are three unrestricted guys down there. Josh Curry, the captain, uh, he was Wilkes-Barre's leading scorer. He only played one game in Pittsburgh. I would bring him back even if he uh, never comes up to Pittsburgh just because of what he brought to the team down there. And I think he was just a point shy of a point per game. Um, and then on defense, Churchman and Trotman, again, even if they'd never come up, um, just what they did, uh, they, they were – the, the, Wilkes-Barre has a pretty young defense core. 
having those two guys as veterans down there is good. Um, the reason they didn't come up as like black aces at the end of the season is because both of them finished the year hurt. Um, so uh, that's that. The, and then there are two really res- well. There were three restricted guys. Um, uh, Amal um, for prospects. Amal Army. We talk about you know goaltending. Uh, Amal Army already signed in Finland, so he's not going to be back. So that would open up a kind of spot for Legacy uh, to be a regular in, in Wilkes-Barre. They kind of need one now. Um, and then just a couple of prospects, uh, Sam Militech, uh, we talked, you know, he coming into the year, he was probably one of the more highly touted guys for getting a spot. He really kind of dropped off, um, really didn't score much at all. Um, take him or leave him. And then like, yes, Berlingren uh, hurt the whole year. So I don't really have a lot to say about him. And then, uh, but Bjorkvist is our RFA too. I'd resign him, but. So, so, okay. So you're, you're, you've given us your, your thoughts there or. Do you have some other thoughts on some yeah, of those well, major um, guys? Yeah, the re- the actual roster guys. Um, uh, Sevier, I think you let walk. Um, it, you know, there's they're just not a spot for him. Uh, Freddie Gaudreau, I said, give him Bobrovsky money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Evan, Rod- Evan Rodriguez, he was making league minimum this year. And just, you know, he is a good spare part to have. But I think, you know, given the way he stepped up this year and I mean, he did, he didn't really fit in there, but I mean, he has played, you know, top six minutes. I, I feel like, and you know, looking at the roster, there might not be a spot for him. He would be a spare part. I don't know if he would want to come back. He could probably find more regular playing time elsewhere. Um, if you can get him back for cheap and you know, he's, he'd be fine with the situation. Yeah. I'd bring back Evan Rodriguez. I just don't, I just don't think he'd, uh, he'd want to, but, yeah, I'm pretty much um, in agreement with Dave. Resign CC. Um, yeah, and then the the restricted Aston Reese, uh, Teddy Bluger. Um, something that helps because we're talking about guys that are due for raises. Um, the Penguins have uh, they they had two million dollars counted against the cap this year for the retained deal on Nick Bukestad. That comes off the books for next season. So that is $2 million that they can allocate towards some of those raises. So um, it's, you talk, you know, what, how are they going to afford this? That, that should be a big help for um, resigning some of these guys. Of course, they'll be paying for Jack Johnson's buyout until he starts to collect social security. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's still another uh, like 1.2 million for next year. That's, can you, can you, <laughs> they were paying, it's like over $3 million in cap this year for Butestad and Jack Johnson. That's insane. Um, yeah, the Butestad money comes off, so uh, that should help. Okay. Uh, when we come back here on the 66 to 87 podcast, uh, it's back. Dave Molinari is so excited. The round table, which was that part of the furniture was moved out for, uh, for the playoffs, but it's back. And we will go around the round table here shortly here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, 
Priceline. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast. And uh, we're going to be joined shortly by Aaron Portsline from Columbus, uh, who's uh, going to talk a little bit about the situation in Columbus. We're going to talk about it as well. Uh, but one of the things that Aaron uh, has has been writing about, and it, it's something that's going to be interesting for the for the Pittsburgh market, is that they are likely to move one of their goaltenders, either Eunice Corpusallo or Elvis Merzlikens, because they don't want to lose one of these guys for nothing in the expansion draft. Uh, and I think that there's going to be other teams around the league that are are, are are in the same boat that are going to want to move uh, maybe potentially a goalie. Taylor, as you mentioned in the first segment, Las Vegas is exempt here, so they, they, they aren't in the picture. But as you look around the league, this is something that possibly could help Pittsburgh as they look to maybe find a 1A goalie uh, given Jari's struggles in the playoffs here. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of tandems around the league uh, where you have to figure if they go into – um, the expansion draft with both of those goalies still on the roster, they protect one that they're going to lose probably the other. Um, we recorded the third segment first, but Aaron mentioned, you know, Columbus is one of the examples, you know, if, if they go into the expansion draft with both goalies, Seattle's probably going to take the other. Um, and they're, since teams have been moving towards a 1A, 1B type tandem system around the league, there are a lot of examples like that. Um, which could create really a buyer's market because if the alternative is losing a goalie for nothing, um, you know, and teams are on a top, it really doesn't give those teams a whole lot of, of leverage. Um, there's, you know, a figure a time crunch and if moving them out for anything would be good, uh, better than nothing. Um, so, you know, if the Penguins are looking for like a, you know, a 1A, 1B type situation, there are guys out there who are better than um uh it would be better options than the smith um so it, that could really benefit them going into uh the the expansion draft um if the market is, does turn out to be that way and it is a real buyer's market uh dave your, your thoughts on this yeah well i mean the, the big if here is if the penguins are interested in bringing in another goaltender we don't know yet what uh, Ron Hextall thinks about Tristan Jari. Uh, you know, we hope to find out sometime before the end of the week. But, you know, certainly you would think that obviously he w- couldn't have been pleased with, with Jari's performance in the playoffs. But we don't know whether he thinks, you know, views that as an aberration or as an indication that, that Jari is simply not a guy that uh, they could ever hope to contend with. And since, from all indications, uh, they plan to remain in win-now mode for at least one more season, uh, you know, you would think he would uh, be actively searching for a goaltender to to replace Jari. Um, you know, it, it's hard to believe they would want to bring in someone to be kind of an, an equal with him. Um, I would think that if they deem a, a move to be necessary, that it would be somebody that they believe would be clearly better than Jari, because I think their current mm-hmm. arrangement, you know, uh, Casey DeSmith is a perfectly adequate backup. You know, yeah. if you believe that Jari can do the job, then, you know, there I, I don't see why they would have an issue with uh, sticking with the current setup. But if you don't think you can 
win big with Jari, then you'd better be searching. And this would seem to be a, a good time to be in the market for a quality goaltender. Yeah, one guy that, that comes to mind, but I think, Dave, you just kind of maybe blew it out of the water with the fact that is he better than Tristan Jari would be Alexander Georgiev in New York, who I think will have to be probably exposed there, who's been in the league for several years. Uh, didn't have his best year this past year, but has been very good uh, uh, at, at times for the Rangers. Uh, Shesterkin is now clearly the number one there. But, it's yeah, it's going to be very interesting. It's going to be very interesting of the, what happens here in the goalie market and, and can the other, they – The other New York team, I mean the Islanders, um, Varlamov is signed beyond this year. Sorokin's going to be a restricted free agent. But, I mean, that's another one where, like, can the Islanders make it out of – make it through the expansion draft without losing one of those guys? Now, would be, now but – let me ask you: Is so would in that case is Sorokin eligible to be? Uh, oh, can, can well, they, mm, just because no, this, this was his first is, year. No, okay, he is exempt. Um, I'd I'd have to look into there because there are requirements of who you have to expose. Like, so they have to expose the goaltender that meets the requirements who's not going to be. Um, yeah. Um, a penning. So Corey Schneider might fit for that for them. Um, yeah. I don't know if he's if he signed beyond this year, uh, but that might be a no. He's not. So I don't know if the Islanders have. So the Islanders they have an interesting situation then. Yeah, uh, another topic here. Obviously, you know this seems to be a topic every every off season here in the, in the recent years as far as as uh, with the aging stars on this team. I, I often look at the situation in Detroit in, in the last decade. And uh, and I and I, I think there are parallels to what is going on right now in Pittsburgh, in that you know in in 2008 and 2009 the Penguins in Detroit met for, in the Stanley Cup final, two great finals, and I don't think anyone at that moment thought that was the last time we were going to see Detroit in the final. But what ends up happening over the course of the next five to six years is they continue to make the playoffs year in and year out. Everyone respects that roster. But I think it got to the point where you didn't really think anymore that, that, that they were a serious contender to win the Stanley Cup, that, that they were starting to get older. And Detroit had to make a decision. And I talked to someone this week. Uh, I won't mention the name, but their point was, are you going to be the general manager that has on your record, I traded Nick Lidstrom? which is a great point. And it's the, I think it's the same situation that Ron Hextall and maybe Jim Rutherford has faced in the past. Granted, there's no movement clauses here. But what are your thoughts on this Is with the Penguins? Do you think that they're going to ride out those three guys and let them at least, I don't know if retire, because I don't, we don't know what, what uh, Latang's plans are after his contract is up next year. And I think it's the same with Malkin if they would retire Penguins or they would move on. But are you guys comfortable at this point uh, just letting these guys play out their contracts in Pittsburgh? Or would you move one of them? Uh, Taylor, we'll start with you. Um, as far as playing out their contracts, uh, Malkin, so Malkin and Latang, they're both entering their final year. Um, I think logistically it would just be very hard to to move them, even if you wanted to. Um, yeah. Latang he has a modified no trade clause where he can pick eighteen teams to which he would accept a trade, um, which kind of gives you a little flexibility there. But I mean, Malkin has a full no movement clause, 
no. so he's not going anywhere if he wants, unless he wants to. And you figure, you know, even if he'd want to, it would probably only be to like one or two teams um, if, if he would be willing to waive it at all. And uh, it, that really wouldn't give the Penguins a whole lot of leverage. And, you know, if he says, you know, like, okay, I'll waive it for Florida and they don't need him, then like that, that's it. And I, you wouldn't get a whole lot of return back. And I know what the well, people keep saying like, oh, well, you know, getting the, the cap space enough is, is a return. Well, the, if, if he'd want to go to a contender, like those aren't the teams that are going to eat cap for you. So um, I think riding out at least this year, yeah. Um, beyond this year, I mean, I'd, I'd bring back Malkin until he doesn't want to play in the NHL anymore. I think he'll finish his career in Russia. His wife said that much last summer. Um, Latang's a different uh, a different story. I think you know this year, uh, you know people look at his cap and and they think it's a lot of money, but he's the 16th highest paid defenseman in the in the NHL, which really is yeah. not that bad. Um, so Latang is one that like, I'm not sure if he'd finish his career here, um, but I, I think you know Crosby and Malkin for sure. I think I, I would say. Dave, jump in there. Well. Uh... Hextall said recently that uh, he would uh, be willing to discuss contracts with uh, Latang and Malkin, you know, to go beyond the ones that uh, expire after next season. Uh, that doesn't mean he would be willing to pay anything close to what they're earning now, but he isn't ruling out, you know, them being around a bit longer. And I, I think the parallel that you drew with the with the Red Wings is a good one. I mean, frankly, I, I feel that that their window as serious Stanley Cup contenders closed uh, when they lost to Montreal in the qualifying round in 2020. Um, I think they're kind of in a no man's land right now where you can't, you know, completely uh, abandon your core. Uh, you know, and, and go on a, a total rebuild, but you really can't, you know, rearrange the deck chairs in, in any order that's going to give you a, uh, a, you know, any better than a puncher's chance at best of, of, of winning another championship. Yeah, it really is. And I, the Detroit one is, is, and I think it's the same way. It is a blessing and a curse when you, when you're in this situation, uh, again, going back to the comment that I was, that was so you, you don't want to be the GGM that ends up trading a potential future Hall of Famer. Uh, and it, it really is a tough situation. I, I, I think I agree with you guys that, well, I, 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 it would surprise me, I think, unless they were to fall out of the playoff race, which I don't think they will this coming season, uh, that, that, that they end up uh, staying on the roster at least through the end of the year. And again, f fabulous job by all three of those guys to have won three cups here and brought so much, uh, so much excitement and so much to look forward to in the spring. But that will be Ron Hextall's and Brian Burke's decision to make. Well, let's 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 uh, expand here a little bit. Some league-wide things uh, for for fans that watch the game uh, Sunday night. Uh, one of the most highly anticipated series is the Vegas in Colorado game. Uh, Colorado jumped all over Vegas in game one, uh, one handily. But in that game, and we've seen this time and time again in the playoffs, 
there was a hit in that game by Ryan Graves on Matthias uh, Janmark uh, that ended up only getting two minutes. To me, it was a high hit, it was a late hit, and it was a predatory hit. Uh, but they end up only giving him two minutes, and you can just see what's going to happen next. You can, you know, especially in a game that was as lopsided at that point, what was going to end up happening. And of course, it happens. Uh, Reeves ends up getting in a fight, uh, not a fight, but ends up attacking uh, Graves in the, in the crease. Uh, he's probably going to get suspended. Uh, he's already, he was, he was given a match penalty and is likely to get suspended. There was another couple borderline hits in that game after the fact match pet on Girardi was a kind of an ugly hit. Uh, my question to you guys is at some point, does the league have to allow the on ice officials to look at that, to come to the, 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 the penalty box and take a look at that one more time and say, is that really is it was that really a two minute minor, or is that something we should be able to have the power to assess? You know, after looking at it again, that's probably uh, at least a being thrown out of the game. I don't think that's a rule right now. Now, right now, you can go back and it happened in this game where there was a high sticking. The, the, the match patch already was originally called four minute minor for high sticking. They were able to go and look at that, and that was rescinded immediately. It says it wasn't because it, it really wasn't. That's that's a good use of replay. But the original hit itself, should the league start to give their officials a chance to look at these type of hits? Uh, Taylor, start with you. Uh, yeah. Um, if you can review scoring plays, I think you know something like this can have you know uh, a bit just as big of an impact on a game. Uh, so I would I would say yes, and I think I mean one of the takeaways from that, um, just the hit in general. I mean, you hear from Penguins fans a lot, you know, gotta get got bigger and tougher guys like Wilson to to be a deterrent. I think you know the fact that Vegas has Reeves and Graves still did that is is proof that you know having guys like that isn't always going to be a deterrent, and stuff like this is still going to happen um, to your better players. But, uh, yeah, to the original point, uh, I, yeah, stuff like that should be reviewable for sure. I know fans don't like review, and the NHL has taken steps to kind of uh, cut back on review, um, you know, making it a penalty instead of charging a timeout for um, for reviewing, like, goals. Um, so I don't think that's something that we would see happen to add, you know, another layer of review. Um, but uh, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Dave Taylor mentioned uh, Tom Wilson, and he's his, he's always seems like he's in the back of our mind somewhere or another. Let's use another example. A couple right at the end of the regular season, Tom Wilson ends is in a kind of a, a goal line skirmish uh, with Pavel Buchnevich. Uh, Artemi Panarin jumps in, and it appeared as though Wilson pulled uh, pulled. Uh, Panarin down by his hair, uh, ended up landing on his shoulder and not his head. But we all know if he lands on his head, it's it's probably a whole different story. But in these situations, uh, the Graves situation and the Wilson situation, would you be in favor of maybe as Taylor said, maybe the Rangers say we're gonna we, we want you to look at this. We think it's a a match penalty or whatever. Do you think that that would help to then 
prevent some of the other craziness that ends up happening uh, in, in some of these games? Well, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to reviewing things, although, I mean, it seems like, you know, sports are now governed by replays rather than uh, decisions made in real time. Uh, so if, if I were to go along with this, you know, the idea of, of reviewing something like uh, the, the Wilson on Panarin, uh, it would be with the stipulation that there's a time limit, that if you can't determine there was an egregious offense within 60 seconds or 90 seconds or whatever, then the original call on the ice stands. Uh, you, you can't have games interrupted indefinitely, you know, to do a, a frame by frame analysis of, uh, every close call. Right. And I, I would agree with that. It, it's something, and, and in those situations, I think it is to use the soccer parlance clear and obvious. If, if you look at it, it should only take one or two replays to say, yeah, we missed that or no. That's exactly what we saw, and we're fine. I think you could do that, but both of your guys' points are well taken. The game is already uh, – there's already so many replays. You don't want to ex- have the game going over three would hours. You, but- would you make it at the discretion of, like, the official or something, like, challengeable? Because, like, uh, yeah. what I'm thinking – what the what game was that? Um, uh, where Matheson interfered on Wallstrom and really injured him, it, it – it wasn't called a penalty. It probably could have been interference, something like that. Would you like to see New York be able to challenge that for interference and get a power play out of it? I think the way that they do it in soccer with red cards, it would really work. And again, this 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 then does involve Toronto or New York or however you want to say it, that at the first available stoppage, somebody, either the referees on the ice or there is a stop, obviously there's going to be a stoppage right away because the guy's hurt. Uh, the guys down on the ice, uh, either the referees can for or somebody buzzes a horn and says, Toronto's on the line. We want you to look at that again. And again, I, I am completely in agreement with Dave that it's got to be something that's done right now uh, or it's, uh, you know, in, in 60 seconds. I, I think that's a very good stipulation. All right, last topic. And as we mentioned, we, we are going to have Aaron Portsline on uh, from Columbus at The Athletic. Uh, to talk about this situation, but I wanted to get your guys' opinion too on what is happening in Columbus. Uh, obviously, the, the franchise has been around for about 20 years now. I think they just celebrated their 20th season. And for a lot of those years, this team was really bad. And you could understand why guys like Rick Nash and Adam Foote, probably at the time when they kind of forced their way out of this city and maybe even to the ascent of Jeff Carter, like, I don't want to play here. I, I, I just, it's not a good situation. But what we're seeing right now in Columbus is the last four years they've made the playoffs. They had a shocking upset of Tampa Bay uh, a couple of years back. They took Boston to six games the year that Boston lost in the final in seven games. And yet we are starting to see guys, starting with our Termi Panarin, but bigger, Josh Anderson and uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, who were homegrown players who were instrumental in that team's growth, asking out. Uh what do you think from the outsider's perspective? Start with you, Dave. What is wrong in Columbus? What's going on right now? Well, it doesn't have an ocean for starters. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, 
you know, it, it's really hard to say because it, it seems from, from the outside like it would be a, a reasonably good place to, to live and work. Uh, you know, whether there are internal things with the organization, you know, that, uh, that turn off some players, I, I can't really say. Hopefully, uh, Aaron will be able to shed some light on that for us. Uh, Taylor? Yeah, I, I think it first glance your assumption might be that the city itself is really not uh someplace like young guys really want to to be there's not a whole lot of exciting things going on there um i i know i think like former players have gone on like a spit and chicklets and talk about that how like no one really just wants to be in that city um but it sounds like it goes beyond that and it's not just that you know the city's boring right I live here. I live in Columbus. It's for me. I, I'm not a Blue Jacket fan by any stretch. It is. It, it's. It's really a shame uh, that they finally got this team to the point where, before Panarin left, they looked like a team that was really on the move and was going to challenge uh, the Eastern Conference elite for the time for for a while if they could have signed Panarin. And even after losing Panarin, they they still last year. Uh, Beat Toronto in the in the preliminary round and gave uh, gave Tampa Bay a decent series. I think that one only went five games, but that was also the series that had the like five overtime game. And to see things going south, I mean, for some of these smaller or mid market teams, it's very discouraging. It, it it kind of reminds you sometimes of the stuff that goes in the NBA. But as Taylor mentioned, we're gonna have we're gonna be joined here briefly by Aaron Portsline in Columbus at the Athletic, and he will fill us in on his thoughts. So stay with us and listen to that again, divisional team. The blue jackets are not going to look like they looked the last time we saw them in Pittsburgh. Stay with us. All right. Recording now. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast. And as promised, we are now being joined by Aaron Portsline, uh, absolutely one of the best hockey writers in the country with The Athletic. Uh, follow his work. You can follow his work. Uh, covers the Blue Jackets, covers the league, uh, as well as just about anyone out there. And Aaron, um, you, Dave, Taylor, you guys never have off seasons anymore because you're always busy. But I think that you will have about six hours of downtime this summer <laughs> with all the <laughs> You have going on. You have a coaching search going on. You have a, a president of hockey operation who's left a couple of years ago and is now back. You have a top defenseman that is wanting, sounds like he wants out. You have all kind of stuff going on with the franchise and you have an expansion draft to go through and a regular draft. Have you told Kate that you just may not see her until September? You know what? I, she doesn't. Um, thank God she's not a sports fan. Um, that comes in handy often, but there are times like this where it's, it's just, it's hard to express to, to really anybody. Tom, there, there's like six, seven, eight (laughs) storylines this summer that, that by themselves in a normal summer, uh, would be, would be blockbusters, would be big enough to carry the summer, um, yeah, I mean Seth Jones, John Davidson, the coaching search. What do they do with Patrick Line? Are they holy smokes? They're going to trade a goaltender. They're going to try to anyways. The expansion draft. The lottery's Wednesday, by the way. 
It's been a while since we've cared about the lottery in Columbus, Ohio. Um, that's upon us Wednesday. I think we're going to care about the lottery for the next few years. Um, <laughs> that seems to be how it's it's shaping up. But I, this this summer is going to be a hell of a lot more meaningful than the season was. That's for sure. Well, let's to use one of your favorite phrases. Uh, let's cut your steak into small bites here for you. Uh, let's just start out with what's what's going on. What's the latest on Seth Jones? Uh, that story you had been kind of bird dogging that story since the Blue Jackets kind of fell out of contention that that he was probably going to be the number one priority uh, going into the offseason to try to get him re-signed because he is a uh, unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. And Seth Jones seems like he's already given the team the answer before the question was even able to be uh, thrown out there. What, what's going on with Seth Jones? Well, yeah, so we mentioned all the stuff that they've got to get through. The overarching story to all of this, the the over the big deal to the entire summer really has been Seth Jones. What does he want to do? So there's there's been issues in Columbus the last couple of years, really for the length of the franchise, but I highlighted the last couple of years with players leaving town, uh, either by forcing trades, either by free agency, um, and there have been other reasons. There have been players that the Blue Jackets were fine with leaving, but they've lost a ton of talent. Could they stem the tide with Seth Jones? He's an unrestricted free agent after next season, so they really need an answer this summer. Um, you know, and the news that broke uh, over the weekend, Elliot Friedman from Sportsnet had it first. Um, I, I don't think it's a surprise that Seth Jones isn't going to resign. With the Blue Jackets, I, it's certainly not good news for, for a lot of Blue Jackets, but, you know, there's there's no real great way to handle this as a, as a player that doesn't make people upset. But I think if you're Seth Jones, this is about the best you can do uh, in terms of letting them know early, not dragging it out, not hemming and hawing. Uh, I don't think he's trying to get a better deal out of them because I don't think they've even exchanged numbers. But he's made it clear to them. Uh, by reports, and we heard this last week, couldn't substantiate it. Elliot Friedman nailed it down, that he has told them he's not going to resign with them, that he wants to test free agency. And so with that decision right there, I think it it, it takes away any any suggestion that this is going to be a reload and a quick turnaround and they're going to be competitive next year. And it's it certainly looks more and more now like a rebuild, like a, a process they've been through a few times before. And Seth Jones is what they were going to hang their hat on, build their franchise around. He'll be 27 at the start of next season, coming into his prime. Um, but in a lot of ways, if he wants to move on, there's no faster way to get the rebuild started and to do it the right way than to have large pieces like Seth Jones to move. So. Now they've got their. Now he has told them what he wants to do. Now they've got their marching orders. Aaron, going into the start of the, going into the summer of 2018, you look at this Blue Jackets roster. Artemi Panarin has played one season for the club. You look at a young team that really, really looks on the come. It really looks like it's a team that with Panarin there, this team could really make some noise in the Eastern Conference and in the league in general. Yep. That summer, 
uh, much like Seth Jones has just done or reportedly done, Artemi Panarin says, I'm going to at least test free agency. Uh, the team decides to hold on to him. Uh, they then go on and up, shockingly upset uh, Tampa Bay Lightning in the first round. Uh, they give Boston a great six-game series before bowing out. But Panarin leaves. And you can say, okay, you know, he was not from here. He was only here for two years. Uh, nobody drafted Artemi Panarin, but he was only here for a short time. He wants to go to New York. Okay, that's fine. Bobrovsky, yep. we're going to get to him in a little bit. But then what happens, what I think su- some su- surprises some people, is all of a sudden there's a problem with Josh Anderson. Yep. And Josh Anderson ends up getting traded to Montreal. Pierre-Luc Dubois, uh, who was without question, I think, Jarmo Kekalainen's shrewdest draft pick and a really good two-way center. And those two players, him and Anderson, represented to me the identity of that team. Big, hard to play against. That's right. Both of those guys are no longer gone. What is going on with the that franchise's ability to hold on to players at a time where it would look like this has been their, without question, their best stretch of hockey. I know you wrote a story recently where you talked to some former players, you gave them anonymity to let them speak freely. Can you tell our listeners what you just learned in talking to those players about what it is about Columbus that is making it so hard for them to retain some of these players? Yeah, I'll, I'll summarize because it was a rather lengthy piece, but the the – the, the overarching sense, and this is something we've heard many times, and I think it's a really important delineation, is it's not really the city as much as it is the organization. And the city of Columbus, and this is, this is a difficult thing to explain, but the city of Columbus itself doesn't have um, cachet. It does, it's, not, it's not the a cool metrosexual city in this country. But people who come here, regardless of of background or, or financial situation, they almost universally are a surprised by it and B come to really love it. But it still doesn't have the reputation as other cities, but you know what? There's a lot of cities in this league that don't. Is is it is it a is it in a different class than St. Louis, than Winnipeg, than I mean we could go Edmonton, Calgary, you can go on and on. It doesn't have an ocean. It's not a major. It's a huge city, but it's not a major city in the in the New York type way. Um, but it's not really this the city that 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 rubs people. It, there's everybody's a little bit different with with the issues that they've that they've had here. Um, They think that, that this club needs to do more to put their arm around players rather than to confront them at the negotiation table, negotiating table. They think the organization could do more uh, to market players uh, rather than just sort of letting the, the, the play do the speaking for whatever that's worth. Um, yeah, and you know what? Each of the each of those guys, it's really easy to lump all of all of the players that have left. It's 
it's easy to to lump all of them together and say this guy doesn't want to be here, that guy doesn't want to be here. You mentioned Panarin. Um, he it's not he didn't dislike Columbus at all. He rather liked it here, but he always wanted to live in New York City and play for the Rangers. That was his spot. It was his dream. He came from nothing, Tom. You know this. His background. He came from absolute nothing. And now that he has the chance to have everything, he wants everything. Um, they didn't want Bobrovsky. I'll not go long on Bobrovsky. They didn't want to keep him. They didn't want to make him the highest paid goaltender in the league. And uh, I, we look at it now a couple years in and say, thank God, I think. Um, Matt Duchesne, he loved it here and was surprised how much he liked it here. But he's always wanted to be in Nashville. He wants to pursue a music career along with hockey. I think there have been times this year where the Blue Jackets have said, thank God they didn't pay him what Nashville paid him. There are times Nashville didn't want to pay him. But you're right. The Anderson and the Dubois ones, those are the ones that hurt the most uh, because those were the born and raised guys here. Those were the guys that they drafted. Those were the guys that were big. They played with Snarl. You cannot take two six foot three, two hundred and twenty pound guys out of your lineup and expect to play the same way. Um, the Dubois thing got really ugly, and that's where this this Columbus reputation has really been damaged. Um, Anderson really isn't that different from Dubois. It just happened in the off season. He didn't want to be here anymore. He was so pissed off, and this happened. This happened before uh, Bobrovsky and Panarin left, actually. He was so pissed off by his contract negotiation coming out of his entry-level deal that to hear some people across this league uh, say it, the moment he had a, a, the, the first opportunity he had to leave, he was going to leave Columbus, Ohio, not because it's Columbus, Ohio, but because of the Blue Jackets, not the city, the organization. The hope was that, that Seth Jones could stem the tide. He's not, he's not going to do that. Uh, and so they're starting over again. I think the first and wisest thing to do would be for the ownership here to, I don't know if it's an outside a party that needs to come in and look at things. Maybe it's just John Davidson being back that can help things. But figure out what's gone wrong. The, of the 23 guys that played for this team in the 2019 playoffs, you mentioned the year that they swept – Tampa and played Boston well in the second round. 23 guys dressed in those games. 10 of them remain, and only eight of them are regulars. Yeah, that, that's the kind of turnover you expect to see from a team like Buffalo or a team that's that's rebuilding right now, a team that that you expect to see these seismic and, and overwhelming roster changes. You don't expect that from a team that was at its pinnacle. Uh, and two years later, only only eight lineup regulars from that group remain. That is that is absolutely astounding. Uh, Portia, two part question for you. First, are you sure there's not an ocean in Columbus? And <laughs> secondly, it sounds like you're comfortable with the idea of tearing it down and doing a total rebuild. But do you think that John Davidson, who was just brought back to you know, oversee the operation there uh, and, you know, presided over a uh, rebuild with the New York Rangers is going to be receptive to the idea of doing that again with the Blue Jackets. Uh, it, you know what, 
Dave, I've been to Hoover Reservoir. Um, it you can see across it. I can confirm. <laughs> It is not an ocean. In fact, I don't think boats are allowed. Motorized boats are allowed on it. So I'm going to go ahead and say that is not an ocean. Um, You know what? As for the rebuild, I think John, you know what? This is almost what John Davidson does. This is almost his thing. He did it in St. Louis. He did it the first time in, in Columbus, although it was a little choppy because they were better than they expected to be right away had better pieces than I think they thought they had. It's what he was doing in New York when it was abruptly crushed by James Dolan. Um, And he's got five years. He has five years. They have three first-round draft picks again. They're going to get a boatload of futures, you'd have to think, in the Seth Jones deal. I think there could be more coming for for Patrick Laine if they move on him. Um, if you're going to do a rebuild, I think this is a situation that's screaming for it. Frankly, they're going to, they're, they have the fifth best shot at number one on Wednesday. Um, so yeah, I think that's, what's coming for the blue jackets. And, and you know how these things go. You don't know if it's two years or five years or 10 years or forever. If, if, again, we mentioned Buffalo, um, it can, it could be a messy process. Part of that uh, starting over process is going to be looking for a new head coach. Um, do you think Mike Vellucci is a candidate for that job, currently an assistant uh, coach for the Penguins? This is his first year as an assistant, but, I mean, he does have uh, extensive head coaching experience at the you know junior and professional levels in the minors. Yeah, Taylor, that's a great question, and he's a name that makes a ton of sense. Um, he He's not uh, – I've not heard back from him. He's one of the – He's one of the guys that popped up sort of initially on the the radar screen. Um, and, of course, Pittsburgh just recently dispatched from the, the playoffs, so they haven't had as many as much time to get to him as they have some others. My sense is he isn't because they've, they've sort of moved. From what Yarmo Kekalainen said, they're mostly done with their first round of interviews. And we've highlighted four or five guys that they've talked to um, I have not heard or certainly confirmed that Volucci's part of it, but he's a guy that would absolutely make sense. If he, if he does, I think it would be a complete 180 personality-wise and uh, dealing with the media-wise, so uh, <laughs> probably too bad for you if uh, he doesn't end up there. But uh, let's end on a positive note. Uh, you mentioned Bobrovsky earlier on. I mean, looking at the way he's performed since he got to Florida, especially these playoffs, um, how wise was it for the Blue Jackets to, to let him go? And just how surprised are you to see how that turned out? Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's really, it's crazy. I mean, he didn't, he didn't, as you, as Pittsburgh knows well, he, he wasn't a great playoff goaltender here until that 2019 series. And he was just, he was fantastic in Tampa Bay. I mean, I, as long as as I'll uh, continue to write hockey, I'll remember the save he made early second period of the first game where they were down. I think it was three nothing or two not three nothing to Tampa Bay, and he kept him in it, and it it led to just an incredible comeback, and they ended up sweeping the series. He was really good in that series. It wasn't that great against Boston. He was okay, um, but before that, he was not a good goaltender period uh in the playoffs plain and simple and that's continued in in florida hell it's it's reached into his regular season in florida 
it's pretty alarming. He's going to be 33 at the start of next season. He has five years remaining on his contract, salary cap hit of $10 million, uh, cash uh, salary the next two years of $12 million. And the way this season ended in Florida, he's number three on the depth chart, uh, which is crazy. Uh, Spencer Knight looks like a looks like a player. Uh, Chris Drager is a guy who's an unrestricted free agent this year. What did the Panthers do? I think they think their best two goalies are Drager and Spencer Knight. But there's a full no-move clause in Sergei Bobrovsky's contract, and there's $50 million left on it cap hit-wise. So I don't – you know, you some of these you can move. I don't know how you move that one. Um, that's that's a bit of a mess. And it's weird because in one breath we're saying, boy, Bob's one of those guys that got away from Columbus. And in the other breath we're saying, if you're the Blue Jackets, you're saying, thank God we didn't go down that road because Corpusalo and Merce-Leakins have both looked pretty good. And they're going to trade one this summer. And they've moved beyond Bob. Bob, like that goaltending position is the least of their worries in Columbus right now. Yeah. Oh, excellent stuff, Aaron. Uh, probably in the in the – 18 or 19 minutes you've been on the air, three things have probably happened with the Blue Jackets. We're, we're going to let you get going. Uh, we appreciate your insight, and that'll be it for us uh, on this in this holiday uh, version of the 66 to 87 podcast. For Aaron Portsline and for Taylor Haas and Dave Molinari, this is Tom Reed. We will talk to you next time. Thank you.